even the house that we bought in the late 90s, things sort of started happening here. And, and yeah, it just, yeah, it just sort of, I guess, fueled my interest to pursue it even further. and welcome to the Paranormal Portal Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Thomas. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you all for continuing to spread the word about the podcast to people that you meet that are into the paranormal. It's really been helping a bunch. We're meeting all kinds of new listeners, and we have all of you to thank for that. So thank you very much. And remember, if any of you have experiences out there and wouldn't mind being a guest on the show, send me an email at paranormalportalradio at gmail.com. All right, guys, we got a phenomenal show for you tonight. It's his first appearance on the portal, but he's been on our good friend Cade's show several times, the Believe podcast out of Australia. But our guest tonight is Attila Kaldi out of Australia, who is a prolific documentarian of the paranormal, and he's got some incredible stories to share. So I hope you guys are ready because it's about to get spooky. Hey, Attila, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Hey, Brent, thank you very much for having me. Much appreciated. Oh, it's completely my pleasure. I, uh, I of course, listened to your appearances, well, at least one of your appearances with Cade, and I got to tell you, brother, I'm, I've am i been doing this stuff for a long time, and your, your experiences are absolutely chilling, and I, I got to tell you, you've got a lot more fortitude than any uh, 10 people out there. <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, yes, certainly uh, my life has, has definitely been an interesting ride. Um, <laughs> and look, not to match, I think it also helps that, you know, um, some of my family members um, have also had experiences. So it's kind of like a hereditary thing. Uh, I don't mm. want to call it that, but there's no other sort of simple way of actually putting it. So um, it seems to be happening to, to myself, uh, my wife, my kids. Um, you know, my, my, on my wife's side, it's, it's happened to her family and I, even on my side, I've, I've had quite a number of interesting stories, especially from my uncle uh, over in Central Europe. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting how, how these experiences actually flow from one generation to the next. Well, that's, that's amazing. And, and for the sake of our listeners who may not be familiar, can you give us kind of a quick overview of who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, yeah, well, my name is Tiller Caldi. I live in, in Sydney, Australia. I'm uh, an independent uh, filmmaker, uh, basically uh, dealing solely with, with the unexplained and the paranormal. Um, I began shooting almost 20 years ago, but I've actually been working with, with videography for, for more than that since the early 90s. Uh, during a political event over in Central Europe when the walls came down and uh, communism kind of came to an end. Um, and that kind of uh, sparked my interest in videography. But primarily, um, I've, I've, I've created quite a number of, of documentaries. Um, one of the first ones that I started was called Paranormal Investigators and then uh, flowed on there to a, um, a reality TV show called Paranormal Investigators The Challenge, and that started in 2006. And we did two seasons of that. And basically what we did is um, I was uh, involved with a group of paranormal investigators at the time, ghost hunters, if you like. And uh, we had a uh, – we, we basically selected a, a contestant out of four people who would join these panel investigators on these journeys to investigate so-called haunted buildings. So it was basically uh, um, – concentrated around that and, and the, the person's experience and her interaction with the paranormal and with the group and so forth and how she sort of matured as a paranormal investigator towards the end of the show. So that was kind of the basis of that. Um, uh, I then did a, uh, a talk show in 2010 or co-produced it called In Spirit TV. After that, I did a UFO documentary called My Project UFO. It was actually my daughter's very first uh, debut on uh, on set. She actually um, was the reporter, uh, and the whole thing was was focused around this 16 year old girl who uh, was doing uh, a UFO phenomenon or UFO encounters as part of her school projects. So that was basically the storyline, and she was making all these inquiries and interviewing people. So it was quite a 
quite fun filming it. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, uh, I did uh, Paranormal Investigators Phasmophobia, which uh, was in 2013, which I, is now on Amazon Prime. Um, but uh, we did a, a few episodes of that. Again, we, we, we basically went with a bunch of um, paranormal investigators, went to different locations, um, and we, we tested a few contestants here. We put them into some very some hair-raising situations and we had some <laughs> locked-on cameras there and just to see how they responded to, to experiences that pretty much put them outside of their own comfort zone because these people weren't interested in the paranormal for starters. So we kind of introduced them to the whole concept and taking them into spooky places like haunted pubs and the likes and old dilapidated hospitals, which we had a lot of interesting encounters there. But um, after that, I did one called Intenebris, uh, and that was basically looking at uh, the more of the darker aspect of spirituality. And uh, my wife, uh, who's a uh, who's a medium, she was uh, part of that uh, small series that we did, and it was quite dark. We went to some some got in touch with some some uh, some people who had some very very dark experiences through through suicide and, and the likes. And uh, yeah, that was quite a quite a um, a very intense series that I did. That's not that's on uh, the uh, very paranormal channel at the moment. Um, and after that, uh, I flew over to Europe. Um, in 2015, I flew over to Hungary and I filmed a series which basically I – well, not a series, but a small, small documentary called Desolate, but I basically dissected that and put it into a series called Paranormal Investigators Uncut. Um, and that's a sort of a journalistic approach to the paranormal and just the people in the field and what they do and all different types of things from ghost hunting to, you know, uh, search for Bigfoots, um, Know, spirituality, UFO encounters, alien abductions, and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, in 2017, I then again flew over to Europe again, and we filmed in in the Ukraine, in Chernobyl. Uh, we filmed in Slovakia and in Hungary, uh, and it's a yeah, it was a documentary called um, Ghosts of Europe. And after that, I did a couple of short. Well, I did a couple of short films and a couple of small docos here and there for YouTube, and then I did uh, track search for Australia's Bigfoot. And, um, yeah, uh, and I'm now filming the, the uh, sequel to that called Tracking the Law. So that's pretty much all of what I can remember. I've, <laughs> I've done a lot in between as well. So I've been DOP in a few uh, projects as well with, with friends and, and, and colleagues and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, it's basically a lot of filming over the years. Yeah, that's a hell of a laundry list. That's really incredible. And I know you kind of you kind of alluded to it at the beginning, or, or gave us the uh, a quick mention of it. But I my, I always like to start with, and I realize it's kind of, it's kind of a generic opener. But I am really curious with every guest that I have, like what started their journey. But you had mentioned that it's it's kind of been uh, a fact of your life uh, through your whole journey, huh? Well, that's correct. Um, my parents didn't like talking about it. Um, we we did live in a, a a haunted house over in Europe. I spent about six years in Europe. Mm. Uh, I was a teenager, but before that, I think one of my very first experiences happened here when I was only a young kid. Um, and we we rented an old Victorian house um, here in in Australia, actually in a place called Bathurst, which is sort of far west in a couple of hundred kilometres from Sydney. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had my very first ghostly encounter there when I was a young kid. And it was basically, um, I was home sick and it was a rainy day. And uh, one part, this bedroom at the very back end of the house had this very, very dark corner. It's just part of the bedroom, just didn't get any sunlight. It's one of those old oh, sort sure. of top mounted, very thin little windows. And uh, <laughs> and this, this, this elderly lady comes out and she basically, the way I remember it, that she was all grey, that there was no colour to her. And she stood next to me and this tall guy comes out of um, <laughs> of the corner as well with this dark sort of almost like a, a suit, but a very sort of old-fashioned suit with a hat on. And, geez, they look creepy. Wow. And uh, they basically walked away. And I remember telling my parents, and they obviously didn't believe me, but then one day we just got up and left. So it looks like they had their own little encounter and we just moved into a uh, into a unit complex. So, but they never told me why the urgency. But, you know, I, I was hell frightened, to be honest. It was one of my scariest experiences I had. But that's kind of – that's the earliest encounter I could remember having. And, mm. and obviously, 
uh, things just sort of um, snowballed after that to, to my current time. Yeah, that's that's quite a baptism, really. I mean, having it being a full-body apparition joined by a second one, and they didn't talk to you, they just came and kind of stared at you and then left? No, well, that's it. It was just basically this is creepy, elderly couple, um, and the clothing that I recall was, was very, very old, mm-hmm. uh, old-era type, probably. Uh, look, I, I don't want to guess, but if I had to, sure. it would be probably sort of late 19th, early 20th century clothing, and uh, they just stood there just looking at me. They, they didn't look sort of upper class. I think they were more very sort of servant-like people, but oh. they just stood there next to my bed and stared at me. It was creepy, and I, I remember going under my bed and, and just hoping for them to go away, and, and they did. They walked away, and, um, yeah, I think I had probably another experience, a very similar one after that. Wow. And, uh, and and shortly after, I, I, it was a very, very sort of vague um, encounter because I do remember the first one. I, I do feel there was a second one there somewhere, but the exact details of that, whether it was exactly the same or not, I, I, I couldn't tell you, mate. But um, I, one thing I do know that something spooked my parents, even though they didn't believe me, spooked yeah. them enough to actually move out of there. <laughs> Suddenly they became believers as well. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> Wow. So you, this was where you, where it began, but did you continue to have experiences throughout your life as you grew or was it kind of, uh, nothing until you started really diving into this? No, look, look, Brent, uh, I, we moved to, to Hungary, Central Europe in 1984. That's, that's basically my heritage. I was born in Australia, but my parents came to, to Australia in the late sixties, uh, oh. obviously getting away from the, the regime that mm-hmm. was there at the time. Um, but we, we moved to Hungary. It was my first experience, obviously, in 1984. And we bought this old house um, in, a, in a place called Bajo, it's spelled B-A-J-A, and it was on the main road. And this house, well, we later found out, was built by a, a, a Jewish couple in the 1920s, and they were taken away during the Second World War and never returned. I actually found their picture, funny enough, in an outbuilding mm. uh, in the roof, and in the actual ceiling, sorry, and it, Wow. Things just started happening after that, and the, the, one of the experiences I had was we had it was in the middle of winter and we had timber floors and something with with solid heels started walking into into my room. And I could actually hear the heel hit the the floorboards and walk right up next to my bed. And I, again, I was horrified. I would have been about fourteen or fifteen then. Mm-hmm. And uh, and this whatever it was, it kind of walked around the table in my room and just went through the the door and disappeared. And I had a few encounters after that as well, and um, I, I recall this was like in the in the early to sort of mid eighties, and I, I remember getting a few friends from school, and we decided to do a, a séance while my parents were away <laughs> in, the, in the lounge room, and uh-huh. and nothing would happen, nothing would happen, and then I went over to the to the roller shutters to pull them up, and the roller shutter dropped down, and Oof. we just basically jolted about two meters back, almost falling on top of each other, so. Um, <laughs> I was a curious kid. There's no doubt about that. But um, I think the, the the events that kind of happened after that, even in the house, um, even though it wasn't very very pleasant, my my mother kind of supported me. But my father always tried to dismiss it with, "Oh, you're just imagining things," as, mm-hmm. as some parents would, as we know. Sure. Um, but it, it kind of kind of happened. Sort of things started happening in that house, and when we moved away. Nothing much really happened after that for, for a number of years um, until probably uh, when I when I started as a real estate agent uh, back in the in the mid nineties, and um, and just things just started happening after that. Even the house that we bought in the late nineties here, just things sort of started happening here, and and yeah, it just yeah, it just sort of I guess fueled my interest in sort even further. So this is at night time. My daughter, she looked up. She actually saw what she described like a rake-like figure walking across the top of the building. So then you started doing the documentaries uh, in, well, in all of the forms, I guess the independent films and, and other projects, but... As you've been doing this, um, I have to ask you, and, and I, I, I think it's only natural that it would, but 
Has your idea of these phenomena changed and evolved as you've been researching it, or, or how has that worked, or has your ideas remained pretty static about what is going on? It's look, yeah, that's it's a good question. I think what's happened over the years is is where things that I thought that be completely impossible to happen. I've I've I've, I've ruled out that there is no such thing mm-hmm. as the element of impossible. I mean, where do we draw the line when it comes to you know extraordinary experiences? You know? Sure. Um, um, uh, I guess short from a from a from a goat actually talking to me. Look. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, uh, I think anything is just about possible. I mean, things that, like, for example, doppelganger experience, I never thought that would be possible. I never thought that uh, rake-like creatures would be possible. But then again, we've experienced that kind of stuff. So I think what's happened over the years is instead of drawing boundaries for myself in in my belief system when it comes to understanding or appreciating what is out there, Oh, basically, basically, I've opened up those gates, and I just thought, well, let it happen. You Good know, you. Uh, anything is possible. It's it's it comes down to the observer. I mean, if you're one person, it all comes down to how you interpret your experience. But when you have multiple witnesses who witness exactly the same thing, well, then that's when you start asking the question. Well, wow, well, you know, you, you can't dispute the fact that you've got three or four people who've who've, who've witnessed the same thing and could uh, identify or actually describe that encounter exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. You can't really point the finger and say, well, it was it was a collective hallucination or, or it was, you know, or a power of suggestion. Well, you can't say it was power of suggestion because the people were out talking casually, talking about basically just life in general, and all of a sudden, bam, this <laughs> happens. And they all see the same thing at the same time. So look, it's it's I think it's opened me up a little bit more mm-hmm. and <clears throat> to to appreciate some of the things that that people are experiencing, we shouldn't be very quick to dismiss them. Yeah, and I agree completely. I know that when I first started doing the paranormal portal, I was like, "Wow, I, you know, I know all about this stuff." And I, you know, whether it was whether it was Bigfoot or UFOs or or spiritual or strange phenomena, I figured, "Well, you know, I, I'm pretty well versed in all this. I, I think I'm prepared." But as I started talking to people and and researching, I realized that. There's no way to know what this is, and there's there's no way to really quantify it. But I, I really admire your approach. It's like you let it happen. Whatever is going to happen, you, you don't go in with a preconceived notion of it. And and I find that interesting as well because I I've often wondered um, in the paranormal about some phenomena seems to be centered around geographical areas, and I wonder if sometimes the paranormal doesn't manifest itself based upon the expectation of the observer, almost in a quantum uh, a quantum way, you know, like the slit experiment, uh, the double slit experiment that shows the photons behaving like waves and particles based sure. upon whether they're being observed. And, and then what, what I mean by that is like in Asia, there's such a popular concept of, of ghostly figures being like the Samara from the ring, you know, the, the hair, the female character in some kind of night clothes and the hair draped over the eyes. And, and that seems to be how, how many people experience ghostly phenomena there. But in, I think it's Thailand, they have this, this apparition of a little girl in a red dress is uh, very common in, in some hauntings. And, and so I wonder if, if the observer is is really such a part of the of the experience, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Look, I think we're looking at, at uh, this is my interpretation, of course. Is I think we're looking at multiple different different aspects to this. I, I don't mm-hmm. think that there's there's a, a simple explanation to sure. any of these phenomena because because at the end of the day, there is also such thing as, as collective manifestation. So if you have mm-hmm. a, a collective, I think there was a Philip experiment that was done in the 60s or 70s, and I think that uh, what actually happened is a group of students got together and, and they manifested this, this being called Philip uh, because basically what that is, they, they went back to this this lab or to this location and every single week or maybe every single day, I'm not sure exactly of the details, but they had a very disciplined approach to this thing mm-hmm. and it went on for a while and, it, and it, they did it for such a long time that this thing actually manifested. So I do believe in the power of manifestation as mm, well. Right. Um, Good point. But look, I, but I also believe in that, that you're 100% right that there are geographical locations that 
that, I guess, either lure or, or create this phenomena, phenomena or perhaps even open up uh, a, a gateway or, or whatever you want to call it. It just makes things happen. Right. Um, and there was this one particular location um, up in, in here in, in uh, not far from Sydney, uh, this isolated space um, in the middle of a national park. And this thing had just about everything you can imagine. That's that's where um, uh, I referenced this as the uh, as the as the Skinwalker Ranch of, mm. of Australia. You know, it's, it was just everything you could imagine from UFO encounters to ghostly encounters to Bigfoot to wow. to demonic like entities. I mean, there's just absolutely everything. But mind you, we kept on going back there. From we first went there in 2007. I think the last time that I was there would have been about probably about four or five years ago. Now it's just completely a large part of it has already collapsed it's just gone mm. into such despair that that um you know the, the roof has had water leak and once the roof leaks water and as you sure. know that's it it's, it's pretty much gone if it's not maintained um but we went there for a number of years over and over again and it was not much not just myself but a, a host of other people that we took to this location experienced all these remarkable encounters and wow. and it, it just seems like this place was 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 some kind of of, of attraction for for the unexplained. It's, but look, I absolutely hundred percent agree with you that there are locations around the world that manifest these things. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Would you mind going into some of the experiences you had there? Absolutely. Well, um, probably the first experience I had was when I went there in two thousand and seven, and and I have to sort of underline the fact that you know things like possessions and, and trancing and all that kind of stuff just wasn't something that was that was in my vocabulary at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, we went there with a group of people and it was basically like we walked into a location that was left abandoned a day before. That's what it felt like. Wow. But it was actually left abandoned for about five or six years uh, uh, when we first went there. And it was an old, it was an old facility, it was an old hospital, and, and we went in. And lo and behold, something we decided that the guys actually said, well, let's, let's, let's form a circle and let's, let's call it to whatever there is in here. The atmosphere in there, there was, there was one part of this location that, that there was a corridor. So when you walked in, you walked in uh, the main entrance and it kind of split in two ways. They so had wards on the left-hand side and you had wards on the right-hand side. The right-hand side seemed to be okay. But as you walk down the left-hand side, this long, long, long corridor, it just reminds me of Silent Hill. It just gives me the creeps. Um, <laughs> sure. It was almost like when you walked down, it was almost like you smelt death. That's that's the only way Ooh. I could describe it. It had this putrid smell as you walked in, and um, and it just didn't feel right. Mm-hmm. But when when we first decided to sort of form this circle, I I collapsed. I became unconscious, and and when I came to, I was actually outside, and the guys showed this recording that I actually collapsed, uh, my knees bending the wrong way, and I was actually surprised how I didn't break my knees. Oh, my God. Um, they dragged me to the hallway, and I apparently this, this lady came through by the name of Jeanette, um, which was understood to be a, a matron or, or a nurse there that, that once worked there. So that, they dragged me out. Um, <laughs> and when I came to, I said, what the hell am I doing out here? Why am I so cold? Right. Um, this was, I think, in February, which is obviously here. It's, it's summertime in February. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we get usually the worst heat in February. And that was basically the very first encounter. Um, and this thing, whatever it was in there, was seemed to be targeting men only. Oh. Because, because we had, when we were filming Phasmophobia, one of the guys there, the head investigator, basically succumbed to a force there and he became enraged and three guys tried to hold him down and we basically couldn't. And he was just screaming. He just lost his mind and started laughing, this hideous laugh, and just started storming down the hallway and we tried to pull him back. So numerous amounts of people have actually been influenced by this entity over there Um, and mainly guys. And I think once provoked, this thing lashes out. Mm. Um, we we were also filming um, a, a series called uh, Panel Investigators Uncut, and when we were essentially having a, a break outside, my daughter was there helping me with the filming process. This is at night time, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And when she looked up, she actually saw what she described like a rake-like figure walking across the top of the building. Now, the funny thing is, though, Brendan, I have to say this, that I, I was in the building at the time and I was probably, I think I recall just talking to the guys casually and this is what we're going to do next, blah, 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 and we could hear something stomping on the roof. Now, at first I thought it was a, a fat possum just running you know, <laughs> uh, between the, the roof cavity there, but when we went out, my daughter was pale and she says, my God, yeah, this is what I saw. And oh I said, well, God. we actually heard something running across the roof. <sighs> so... Okay, well, that sort of started piquing our interest. All right, well, let's go inside because it looks like the activity is going to start. So we went in, started shooting, and then her and a good friend of mine decided to walk away from the collective, and they went to this spot where there was this one single light. Now, on one side you had the hospital, and on the other side you had like an outbuilding type thing. It was dilapidated. It was collapsing and everything else. Mm -hmm. And as they were standing there talking, both of them saw – and this is the way they described it. it. It basically had a human torso ahead, okay. and it was crawling on its elbows, and it had no legs. Oh! And it crawled from from the hospital over to this other building, really, really fast. And both of them actually saw this thing. Oh dear God! Uh, yeah, I don't know what to make 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 of that. To be honest, uh, and we were inside filming, and when we came outside, you know, obviously there was a bit of commotion going on. So, well, what's going on? What's going on? Is anybody hurt? That was the first thing that, that mm-hmm. came to mind. And and basically, a, a good friend of my daughter said, "Okay, this is basically what we saw that was crawling across the ground." Oh. So that kind of put an end to to the night there very very quickly because um, look, there, there comes a time when. Even as a filmmaker, you know, you okay, you want to capture everything you possibly can sure. uh, on video. But but when when you start seeing things like this, uh, and you start getting people who are getting affected by by whatever is lingering inside that building, mm-hmm. um, you start thinking of safety straight away. Because sure. um, you know, if someone loses their mind and starts running into a wall, you know, a lot of nasty things can happen. Right. Um, and especially when you're talking about a dilapidated building. So that was one of the – a few of the incidences that have actually happened in that location. I mean, we've seen shadow figures moving across. One of the most previous things I personally experienced there is we were in the hallway uh, down on the left-hand side of the hallway. Now, one side of the hallway had a, had a cluster of, 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 um, of windows. And some of that old sort of checkered windows, you know, with the – window frames, wooden window frames, obviously you know, sure. the paint was coming off and all that kind of stuff. And there was a little courtyard in between that and we had moonlight coming in so it kind of lit up a part of the hallway which gave us reasonably good vision. Mm-hmm. Um, we were standing there and, and, and just sort of listening to the sounds that were echoing down the hallway and I was there with two other guys and we heard the, the door creak because there was a, a double sort of bifold door that was probably about – probably say about 10, 15 metres from where we were standing. But that was in the dark. So that was in an area where there were no windows. So one side there was a wall, one side there was a window. So about, probably about a few metres ahead, those windows came to an end. It was just wall all the way down. It was just a solid uh, corridor. And we heard this this door creep. And we thought, all right, well, there's something going on here. There's no wind. There's no nothing. And then we, we basically the only way I can describe it is, is pure blackness was coming towards us. And as this thing was coming towards us, it was encompassing the light that was filtering in from the outside from the moon, and it was coming towards us. It was this dense black. It's just giving me the goosebumps just talking about it. This thing was coming towards us, and I think it probably got about an arm's length to me when I said, no, this is it. We're out of here, guys, because I don't know what the hell we're facing. Mm. Um, And this thing was just very, very slowly. It was was so black that that light couldn't, couldn't even penetrate it from the outside. And it wasn't the fact that, you know, there was a cloud going over the moon because the outside and your peripheral vision, you could still see it was reasonably light mm-hmm. um, outside during the dark because of the full moon. This thing was, was swallowing up everything. Um, and, uh, yeah, we just basically left that building straight away. So th- these are some of the interesting encounters that, that we've had there at this particular location. I mean, there's also a, a, a two Bigfoot encounters. Um, mm-hmm. One – where a lady was there doing a ghost hunt during the day and they were just assessing the location and trying to get a, 
a floor plan of the location so when nighttime comes they kind of understand where they are um and she basically got left behind by the group because she was doing her own analysis her own mm-hmm. observation everything else and on her left hand side as she was walking there was a there was a big scrub there's a there's a, 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 a little tree there for about uh how did she describe her? About a metre, maybe a metre and a half tall. Um, and there in front of it, she saw this large um, Bigfoot that was squatting down with um, with reddish-like, um, it was kind of reddish-like fur. It was mm-hmm. basically staring at it, squatting down. Now, this lady is about uh, five, six, I think, roughly. Okay. And the thing that was squatting down was basically her height. Oh so she closed her eyes, looked away and looked back and it was gone without a sound. Um, so it, it kind of begs the question, you know, I mean, did she one, did she actually physically see a Bigfoot there? Mm-hmm. Or two, did she actually see one of the ancestors of the Bigfoot there because right. the ancestors here in Indigenous law, the, the Bigfoot here are regarded as guardians of the land. Oh, um, okay. And, and when when the Indigenous people talk about, you know, ancestors and also they talk about not only their own ancestors but there are certain references that mention ancestors of of the Australian Bigfoot and it's, it's quite possible that – she may have saw, seen one of the ancestors of the Bigfoots who is still doing their job, even though they've, they're no longer in a physical state. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, they're, they're obviously still doing their job like a lot of, uh, you know, um, spirits who feel that they have, you know, unfinished business here on this earthly plane. So right. it's, I don't know, it's, it's very, very hard to, to sort of understand what this was because so many people, and even over in the States, I could imagine people have seen Sure. Uh, these big, and then they vanish in the yes. blink of an eye without a sound. Um, so, just understanding now indigenous um, or, or an indigenous belief system here. That question is: Are we seeing basically the ancestors of you know of Bigfoot here who have once lived and guarded the land? I don't know. It's, it's it's a it's an interesting question, and so I think it brings more questions than answers. Yeah, and that seems to be the the. Maybe the curse of the paranormal is the deeper you dig, the more questions you have. Like, once you learn, maybe you figure out one thing, and then you'll realize there's so many more questions that come in the wake of that. You looked at some of these isolation wards, and the, the doors were made out of really, really thick timber, and you could still see the fingernail marks embedded into the actual walls there and into the door. There's so many witnesses that see them do these these Bigfoot, Sasquatch, whatever, Yowies, whatever name you want to give them. That there's people that witness them, like, disappear, like, fade out in front of their eyes or only see half of them. Like, only from the, the waist up and the bottom down is just not there visible. And so, mm. of course, there's the speculation that they could be a multidimensional being. And, and there's lots of ideas in the, in the furnace of, of uh, you know, theories regarding these creatures. But certainly one of them could very well be that because uh, it doesn't the, I don't think the entire phenomena could be spiritual because I do think that you know of course they leave footprints people have observed them eating they've observed that you know apparently defecations uh, are found that are allegedly them for uh, on on you know fences and in, in you know areas where one was seen and so, there does seem to be a real physicality to the phenomena, but what if that is true? I mean, of course, there's people spirits. So, if this if this is a, a humanoid being, if it is, you know, in in our, I don't know, in our in our uh, same breadth of sophistication as far as uh, could they not then have spirits themselves? And I think they could because, of course, we hear about animal spirits as well. So. Maybe that's maybe that's part of the riddle is that you know people are seeing some people are witnessing a physical creature and some people are witnessing an ancestor of that physical creature. Absolutely, I hundred percent agree with that. I, I, I do believe that if I actually had to um, understand this, uh, 
I think that I would probably entertain that idea more so than anything else because I do believe that there's a there's there's a uh, a variation between a physical encounter and obviously, as you said, uh, a spiritual encounter. And, and the the uh, the, uh, the indigenous people of Australia, and I also believe that the indigenous, uh, as you said, the indigenous people of, of the Americas also. Uh, speak about this that um, and funny enough I, I watched a documentary a, a few months ago where uh, Native American people refer to them as guardians of the land as well yeah, so yeah. There's, there's a lot of similarities in cultures which is just quite fascinating that is really fascinating to me and, and it's a phenomena that goes you know around the world in so many ways because there's there's of course legends of these creatures around the world and there's legends of all kinds of other creatures like uh you know the little people um and and so many others so the fact that that two uh aboriginal or native first nations cultures regarded them with the same spirituality or same the same uh you know responsibility is incredible to me mm. oh for sure no doubt about that whatsoever mm. uh there, 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 there does seem to be, as I did mention this before, there's so many similarities, and even with the uh, with the species that we're witnessing here. Although some of the researchers that that, uh, that I actually interviewed in uh, in track search for Australia's Bigfoot uh, mentioned that the species here in Australia are most likely to be marsupial apes, rather really? than uh, yeah, rather than your your um, I guess hominin type uh, creatures. So. Um, there have been accounts, and I actually spoke to a gentleman uh, who's, who's, who's quite a well-known uh, researcher here called uh, Gary Oppert, who lives up um, up north in New South Wales. And he did, uh, I was actually talking to him the other day, and uh, we, we, we touched on this subject, and he did say that uh, there have been um, accounts, old accounts, mind you, probably dating back over 100 years now, that uh, people have witnessed, you know, uh, a, uh, a smaller, this, this 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 large Bigfoot creature carrying mm-hmm. a small one uh, uh, around its tummy, or perhaps in a pouch, but it didn't seem to have breasts like a, a mammal would have. Uh-huh. Or, um, so, it, yeah, so he, he believes that it. Well, the, the report basically suggested that it, it most likely would have been a marsupial because only part part of the actual infant was visible, and it was carrying on its on its stomach as it was walking. I think on all fours. So. Who knows? Maybe we have we have a combination of both. It's, sure. it's, it's hard to say. It is, and but that would be that would be really incredible. Um, well, I mean, I, I don't, again, I don't I don't cast any judgments on any ideas because, of course, nobody can know. We don't have one to study, but or or several to study. And but I, I think that that's an interesting thing. The other thing that I've always found interesting is the the behavioral similarities between the Yowie and the Bigfoot. Um, the many of the same things: the tree knocking, the howls, yells, uh, st- uh, possible structures done with trees. And uh, what people experience when they see them, there's so many similarities. And, you know, the, I always found that fascinating, just thinking they were perhaps cousins of each other that had been separated some millennia ago or so, and yet still had those same behaviors. behaviors. And then if you, if you factor in the fact that there could be some ex- in- extraordinary uh, physical variations um, that's a whole new ballpark then too. Mm, interesting, because uh, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of similarities, but then there are differences here too. We, we have here what's known as uh, the East Coast of New South Wales, are referred to them the, as the uh, Junjidi, uh-huh. which are basically, um, they're about, about probably about three or four foot tall, uh, little very slim built uh, little uh, creatures that are covered in hair, and their, their face is a very sort of bluish type colour. Um, and they have been witnessed here, and even the, the Indigenous people of Australia actually speak about the smaller people here. Um, so, yeah, th- th- there are different types of species, and, and that's 100%. I completely agree with that. Um, and there's also potentially a third species here, which are known as the Quinkin, Um And they, I believe, live in northern Queensland and perhaps even parts of South Australia. And these things apparently grow up to anywhere between 15 to 18 foot tall. Oh so they're, 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 they're definitely the, the real forest giants of, of the wilderness. Um, and uh, they don't seem to be as, um, as shy 
as the uh, as what we refer to them here as a dooley gal. And the dooley gal is like the Bigfoot or the Sasquatch um, um, in in in, uh, in North America. But um, the dooley gal seem to be probably uh, about as tall as about twelve foot tall, ten between ten and twelve foot tall. And I do believe that that's most likely that the the alpha males that seem to grow that tall. But um, the the ones that we have here, the Dooliga, they seem to be reasonably shy. Um, the the Junjadi are very cheeky. They're very sort of mischievous, and they'll they'll come and steal things from your backyard if you back onto a bush and run away. Um, but the uh, the Quinkana appeared to be a little bit more aggressive than, than the other two species. So, but there's have been very little reports about them, but they do appear in 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 uh, indigenous folklore. Wow. Yeah, I mean, this is such a rabbit hole when you start diving into it and think of all the possibilities and the ramifications and such. It just, it's, it's incredible. Mm. Oh, absolutely. It's, uh, you really don't know where, where this ends. And funny enough, uh, even from uh, uh, my heritage uh, in Hungary, mm-hmm. uh, actually there is a form of Bigfoot over there. Oh. Um, yeah, and they refer to them as the... Uh, the tree hacker, I believe, that's the, the correct interpretation. It's a, a white-furred, very slender, two-metre-tall creature that basically jumps on the trees and observes people from the trees, and they run away very, very quickly. Um, and they have various forms of other other creatures there that they've that they've um, uh, noted over the uh, over the years, um, not recently, but even over history. Wow. So this, this this phenomenon seems to stretch out all around the world. Yeah, and then when you get the urine and the and the almas and the and the 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 uh, um, what's the yeti? There's so many variations, and and you got to wonder: are they the same family tree? Or are these are these just are there that many things that still remain undiscovered in our world? You know. Mm. Oh, definitely. <laughs> so, if you would, if you wouldn't mind, would you go into? The doppelganger, dang, doppelganger. <laughs> Jeez, I just I'll, I'll learn to speak someday. But uh, doppelganger experiences. Absolutely, uh, the the doppelganger experience. The first time that we had was was um, in a we we're filming in a hospital, and that was we were filming phasmophobia. In fact, we were filming, filming the first and second episodes. That was all talking one, all played in one location, mm. and. The, the whole idea here was was with some of the, the, the people that we had because we had new contestants for, for each, almost for each sort of, each location we had new contestants, uh, not for each episode but for, for each location. So we had this, this particular um, place which is, again, far west, southwest of Sydney. Um, it's in a country area and it's, it's an old disused mental hospital and it's, it's, it's quite large. And this particular part or this this particular ward actually had some of the more criminally insane people. I don't know if that's the correct terminology, but these people committed some some terrible crimes, but they were regarded you know, mentally insane. So they were locked up. And and when you walked in and you looked at some of these isolation wards and the, the doors were made out of really, really thick timber and you could still see the fingernail marks um, in, um, embedded into the actual walls there and into the door, oh so it's God. quite creepy to actually see that. But yeah. again, all these all these wards were, were completely <clears throat> completely isolated. They had been, um, you know, it's a decommissioned hospital. It was decommissioned oh, about twenty years ago now, but it was the original building was built around I think it was eighteen eighty. The main administration built, and they just basically built after that. So it it served a lot of purposes over the years. Um, and anyway, this particular ward, um, basically what we did is is the contestants that went in there because we basically said, all right, well, we're here today. You, what you have to do is you have to go in. Here's a video camera. You have to find uh, a, a note in there and just follow the instructions of the note. And that mm-hmm. was basically it. So they had to walk into these dark places on their own and they have to find this note and then obviously follow the instructions just creepy because you're all, all by yourself in there. Yeah. <laughs> but what we decided to do is is that ultimately these people had to investigate, you know, the the sounds and, 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 and some of the experiences that they had to make sure that if it was either paranormal or, you know, somebody else was, was playing silly buggers in there and trying to stir them up a little bit. Mm-hmm. But this is, quite, this is quite normal because you'll find that a lot of guys who actually do paranormal investigations, ghost hunting, if they go into a... 
uh, a disused location, it's quite possible that you'll have people who will break in, that you'll have squatters in there or mm. you can have just somebody else who wants to break in. And, you know, some people are very quick to jump to conclusions straight away, but then others will go, well, let's go and investigate it because we don't know what this could be. And that was the whole purpose of this, you know, is to, sure. to basically investigate the sound, whether it was paranormal or not. So <clears throat> at the far end of the ward, uh, my daughter and, and a good friend of mine uh, basically were, were situated in, in in one of the one of the rooms over there, and my daughter had this big sort of oh, it was like a uh, almost like a, a big cloak with a hood over it head, over her head, and we gave her instructions that as soon as this lady walked into the hallway and and sort of you know shone the torch down the hallway for her to walk across, you know, her head punched <laughs> over, and for her to walk across and to scare the hell out of this person. Oh, man. <laughs> anyway, when she did that, then she obviously met up with my met up with my friend, and then they would sit there until they were called out you mm-hmm. know, for the reveal. So we also had a couple of other guys in, in other rooms. You know, they were hiding in closets and all that, making sounds and, and, and whatnot. She had to obviously investigate this. So after she, she went in, you know, she investigated. She came out and she said, "Look, it was all creepy and everything else." And then I said, "Okay, well, let's let's reveal to you what's actually really going on." One thing that actually happened there, funny enough, that she reported was a, an EVP that she reported. Somebody called out her name, but nobody actually physically called her name out. So Ooh. that was basically the icing on the cake for her, and that's when she left. <laughs> so when when we went in to basically do the whole reveal and tell her, look, now this is basically what's happened, you know, the hooded figure that you saw, you know, that's mm-hmm. who it was. So we went in and we called out to my daughter and, and to my friend to come out and reveal yourselves, and they didn't come out, and we thought, well, Maybe they, you know, left the building and, you know, joined up with the other crew members on in the other building. So we thought, all right, that's fine. So we got all the other guys out and they basically said, all right, well, this is what we did. We are tapping on the doors, you know, we were opening the windows, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And that was all good and well. And then my battery went dead. And we were doing this whole interview in this central, sort of, it was like a mess hall. And um, we are doing the interview there. My battery went flat. And then my wife was there and she says, Where's, where's, where's our daughter? Where's Michelle? And um, we were looking around and, you know, we're, and we, we saw our friend walk in mm-hmm. and we're saying, well, where's Michelle? I mean, she was with you, right? And this guy basically looked at us. He basically grinned and, and sniggered and then started walking away into the hallway. And then we started following him because we thought, well, mate, you left my daughter on her own in this, yeah. in this ward. You know, I mean, how could you do that, you know? <laughs> so we started following him and he vanished and then we're calling out, where are you guys? And then they come out of this this room. And my daughter and, and my, my good friend Daniel, and we said, well, you know, what was that all about? And my friend said, well, what are you talking about? You know, this, this is the first time we've actually heard you guys call out. We've never heard you guys call out before. Mm-hmm. And then we said, "Well, hang on a second. You were just there in the mess hall, and you, you know, you were being a, you know, you, you gave this this sort of nasty grin and, and laughter, and then walked away. So that wasn't me." He says, "I was here, Ooh. did not leave my daughter's sight, and made sure that he was there protecting her in case somebody did break in." Oh and we're looking at each other, thinking, oh "My God, what the hell's going on here?" Yeah. So that was basically the the first doppelganger account, and then the guys went back afterwards. And then they started seeing – they basically had their own experiences there with different crew members where different crew members, doppelgangers, would walk out. And they'd say, well, what are you doing here? And then the guy that they all thought was in front of them actually walked up behind them. So it was a really, really bizarre night. It was almost like you'd think that these guys were on some kind of you know psychotropic compound. But <laughs> I can assure you nobody was. But it was quite an interesting experience because I've never even – I've heard of the stories of doppelgangers, but I've never sure. thought this can't be true. Right. But, but sure as eggs, that person was there, and I'm, I'm so angry at myself that I didn't film the whole thing. But I thought it was Daniel, our friend, who left my daughter behind, and he was right. standing there. He just walked, happened to walk in. Yeah. And I was changing batteries on the, on the, on the camera. And, uh, and as he walked away, we thought, well, okay, well, he's, he's gone to get Michelle. And then we find out that he had never left my daughter at all and that this thing whatever it was just walked in and um it's as creepy as it sounds it just right. made his presence known 
and then walked away. Just, I mean, how do you explain that? And it was it, it appeared as physical as anybody else that was there. I mean, it didn't it didn't have any uh, ethereal qualities to it. It looked like your friend, as far as you knew. Absolutely. So there was just nothing that would that would have separated that thing from my friend. It was physically there. It was physically present. Wow. The sound that it made was audible. Um, and as it walked, you know, obviously we all heard it walk away. So there was no, you know, there's, there's no unusual element to it whatsoever. It was it was as if Daniel was there, this, this, our friend of ours was there, mm-hmm. and he came in and just decided to be, you know, a, a completely different and out of character person, basically. So it was completely out of his his realm of, of, of characteristics because we, sure. we didn't recognize his, his attitude and, right. and his demeanor. So, um, yeah, it was, it's, it's, that was the only thing that separated uh, these two, these two, well, the, our friend from this entity. Right. That's just, you know, it's so, it's so, it's fascinating, but it's also diabolical and it's also terrifying. It is because if they can manifest themselves like this physically, what are what else are they capable of doing? Right. Yeah. And what else do they do that maybe people don't pick up on? It's like, oh my god, that is so incredible. Oof. Indeed, I know. Yeah. So uh, they, they were the the ones that I I remember having uh, as a doppelganger experience, but it was it's quite intense, uh, the least to say. And I don't think I ever want to have an experience like that again. I can assure you. No, I'm sure not. But it's it's an it's an incredible journey. I mean, you're you're you've had this amazing journey, and I guess it, the the cool part is that you're here telling us about it because these experiences are just through through the roof. I mean, they're so fascinating. But have you noticed through the years? Do you are you still as amazed today as you were when you were a little kid? I mean, obviously there's there's always fear involved, but. Do you think you handle it better now since you've been exposed to so much, or is it still just like the first time? It, it all depends on what actually, what actually happens. Sure. Um, it's very hard to, like, okay, if you go into a, a, a location, uh, I mean, I haven't felt ghost hunting now for such a long time. I kind of miss it, to be honest, <laughs> after talking to you about it. Sure. Um, but, but um, you know, the, the usual taps and knocks, and I mean, it, you know, it could be anything, but Definitely when you start seeing these, um, when you're physically seeing these things actually happen or mm-hmm. if a door opens on its own. I mean, I mean, not, not that long ago, in 2017, when we were, uh, I was filming, um, just an example, I was filming uh, Ghosts of Europe. We were at this um, abandoned orphanage uh, near Lake Bolaton in, in Hungary and um, that thing just completely went off. It, it, was, it was just crazy. It was very similar to this location here in Australia. I think if you would have spent more time there, uh, maybe we would have drawn more of the phenomena out. But uh, needless to say, we, we got our hand, we got our fair share of experience while we were there. But one thing that really made me bolt out of there is that uh, what, when we were downstairs, the crew were out. Uh, one of the crew members said, "Oh, look, you know that that, that area over there just doesn't feel right." You know, it was mm-hmm. basically it, it was a, basically a, a, a small area. You had a staircase on one side, and and the far end led into this. Big open here. It was almost like a, an operating theatre of some kind. It was all empty. It was overgrown with, with weeds and, and, and roots and so forth. And obviously it didn't let the light in, but it was very, very dark in there. Hmm. So, and I said, well, okay, well, if you're afraid of it, I'm going to walk in with the camera, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll prove to you that there's nothing here to be afraid of. It's only just lack of light. So <laughs> I'm walking in and I'm taking a step up and I'm, as I'm heading in, on my right-hand side, there's a corridor there with this door partially ajar. And as I'm looking over there through the camera, this door basically just just swings open. Oh, jeez. The breeze went through. There was no breeze. This thing just, just with a purpose, it just swung open. Hmm. And that was it for me. I just nut my mouth. That's it. Because you don't know what you're dealing with. You know, right. you're in a, you're in a, you're in a foreign country. And if something happens to you, hmm. I mean, you know, what do you do? You end up in a hospital. I mean, these are some of the things you've got to understand. Are these people relying on me too? Because not only was I filming the content, I was also guiding them through the whole process. You know, I was guiding them to one location to the next. And as, as a person who's responsible for all that, I couldn't be, I couldn't go gung ho about it. So, oh, look, I'm, you know, I'm scared. Yeah, but I'm going to keep going and see where this leads me. Sure. I, I physically, I, I physically felt fear, and that was you know, back right. in 2017. It was. That was genuine fear, and I, I 
just got out of there. So, mm-hmm. yes, I still get afraid. But yes, I still get really excited about some of the experiences that we have. And not only that, it's just listening to people's experience just like you do. Yeah. I think it's fascinating. Yeah, I, I just really love it because I, I think every time I hear an experience, I learn something new. And sometimes it doesn't occur to me until, you know, days later, I'll be like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, and and then it'll dot some I's or cross some T's in my in my big list of questions or wonders. And uh, I, I'm just fascinated by, by hearing these kind of things because it, it, and it, it, it reinvigorates it for me as well because... I can live those experiences through the eyes of the experiencer, and and that's incredible. But I, I it still doesn't put me in that position. But you know, again, I, you're you're cut from a <laughs> a better metal than I am, I think. But that's that's incredible. Now, uh, before we're done, I want to ask you what's next for you. What are you up to, or what, what's coming up for you? Well, um, at the moment, I'm I'm filming the sequel to Track Search for Australia's Bigfoot, and this is titled Tracking the Law, and it has a, a strong Indigenous element to it because uh, I know that some of the, the viewers who watch Track um, uh, messaged me or just made comments about how they would be interested in knowing more about the, the Australian Indigenous side of of, uh, of, of the Bigfoot scene here in Australia. And, and basically I did that. And it was a long journey because I've been filming this now for two years. And mm. um, it's, it's, it's not as if you could just walk up to an elder and say, look, I just want to quiz you. Would you go face the camera? Yeah. No, you have, to, you have to build trust over time and they need to be able to trust you and see that you are genuine about this mm-hmm. uh, because otherwise I won't tell you anything, you know. Um, sure. And, and I built up trust through, and we made some lovely friends as well um, during this, this, this journey. And, um, and actually next week we're heading up to Queensland and, and filming a, a group of, um, of, of well-known investigators here in Australia who, uh, who, caught, uh, who filmed uh, a Bigfoot up here in Queensland. So there's, there's so much that, that I'm trying to sort of put into this um, documentary, but it is going to be different to the first one um, mm. because it's, it's – it looks deeper into the whole element of Bigfoot and the, the potential of, or the possibilities of, of migration, you know, and, and how our mm. environment is changing here and how that could actually impact not only the environment but also um, the forest folks as well. So that's that's the next project, which I'm hoping to have done by, by uh, the second half of this year. Oh, phenomenal! And I, and I really applaud your 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 focusing as well on the uh, the indigenous stories because I think more and more those things those wisdoms are being lost to time, and we, you know being a, as we're a culture of stories, I think that we we stand to lose so much if we let those those stories fade and become lost to us. So, congrats! Yeah, brilliant. Oh, thank you very much, but I, I completely agree with you 100% because these stories uh, are being lost, and especially as some of the elders, you know, dying out, mm-hmm. uh, we're losing a lot of the tradition, we're losing a lot of that knowledge, that that um, that organic knowledge that, that has been handed down over generations, yeah. and uh, I just find that, I just, it's, it's an honour for me to actually record that and to be there at that particular moment when these stories are being told, yeah. Oh, fantastic. I can't wait to see it. And uh, Attila, I'd love to have you back uh, again. I'm going to have to keep stealing you from Cade because uh, <laughs> this is absolutely uh, well, fascinating. I, I do have a lot to, to talk about. There's no doubt about that. But anytime, mate. I'm happy to come on board. No worries. Well, thank you so much for being a part of our show, and uh, we'll definitely get you back. Thank you. And before we, we go, will you let people know how to stay in touch with what you're doing and uh, where to keep in touch with you? Sure. Um, we actually have a Facebook page called Paranormal Investigators Series, um, and that's basically got all the the updates of, of what we're doing at the moment. Obviously, with with, uh, with the pandemic, it, it's made life hard for everybody. Mm-hmm. So, um, when we have opportunities to go out and, and take some photos and what, what keep everybody up to date, we do it there, and also on Instagram uh, on uh, uh, Track Bigfoot is our Instagram. Page. And uh, we also have a, a website, paranormalinvestigators.tv, and we try to keep everybody up to date there as well. All right, Attila, thank you again, and uh, we will definitely be in touch and get you back on the show. Thank you. All 
right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us here on tonight's show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Please feel free to follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Paranormal Portal Radio, as well as finding us on Twitter. We're on Twitter at Paranormal Portal, P-O-R-T-L. And uh, we'd love to have you stop by our YouTube page and subscribe and check out our shows there. we got hundreds of shows, Journeys into the Paranormal Portal. So I hope you'll check it, check it out, guys. We're over there at youtube.com slash paranormal portal. So hope to see you guys soon. Uh, we'll be back, of course, for more podcasts in the coming days. So we love you all. Be good, be kind, be nice. Take care of each other. Help each other out. Find the magic in every day. And remember to laugh as much as you can. <laughs>